All right, the reading today is from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Great job, Sarah. Thank you. And um, I think before I get started, I want to be able to clear the record. I'm going to clear the record in two ways, actually. I had something happen last night that was, I, I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's ever happened to me before. I had a conversation with somebody after church, and they were talking about how the sermons that the pastors preach here are so convicting on their hearts. And he says, I'm so struggling with this. And I said, you know, I really can understand. It's, they can be convicting to me as well. And he goes, he, he was shocked. I mean, his jaw dropped, and he said to me, words nobody, particularly my family, have ever, ever uttered to me, you sin? Yes, I do, unfortunately. There's a lot of things that I do that are not good, that I need to keep growing in, and the closer you get to me, the more you realize I make mistakes, and that's a sanitized version of saying that really I fall short of the glory of God. So I need prayer as well. And particularly one of the ways that you can pray for me, and it's number two way of clearing the record, is that some of you are going to remember a sermon I preached about two and a half months ago in June. Actually, it was, a, it was two of them back to back. But the second one particularly hurt some people and upset some people. And one of the reasons that it upset some people is that I got ahead of the elders. You see, we're supposed to operate as a team. And that's a struggle for me sometimes because we're doing this full time. We're in the trenches and the elders don't do this full time except for the pastors. And so sometimes I can run ahead of the elders and that's not ever a good thing. And I ran ahead of them. And I preached in that sermon that there is a spirit of strife that's come against this church. By the way, for you to know, that's not anything new. That literally was part of this church in its inception. But when I said that, I had caught the elders off guard. I hadn't had given them a time to prepare for that. And then we haven't really been able to come around you in that. And we're seeing some of the fallout in that. So I really want to pray and ask, first of all, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for not preaching in sync with the elders. That's my bad. I, I own it. That's my mistake. And it's an area for you to pray for me to keep growing in. I certainly need to. And following up on that, I just want to keep asking you, pray for the elders of your church to step in and lead with faith and grace and strength. We are, I believe, under attack. And that's evident in so many ways. And it has been through the history of this church. We've had two pastors of this church in our short history that have had nervous breakdowns. There's just a grueling fight, and actually, Pastor Matthew alerted me first to this. I heard it from him, who heard it from Craig Osborne. This whole area is built on deception and strife. This whole area of Easton. 
And we are in the thick of it. We are in the darkness of it, and we are bringing the light to it. So please accept my apology for that, and let's pray that the leadership of this team leads well, better than I have led in the past. Let's pray that we lead better into the future. So I want to ask you a question. How do you endure times of upheaval in your life? Yesterday, before church, I went over to a lady in our church who three months ago was logging miles a week walking with a little bit of running and sometimes biking. And I went over there yesterday. She's surrounded by two hospice nurses. Three months ago, friend, she didn't see this coming. She's not going to live much longer. That's an upheaval in life. This last week, I got an email from a dear lady in our church who just got fired from a very high position that she's enjoyed for years. She writes this to me. By her permission, I can quote her. I am distraught, but am confident that our Heavenly Father will protect me. My sadness also stems from the possibility that I may have to move out of this area and lose my job of worshiping at Cornerstone Church. Her life has been shaken. So I want to ask you again, how do you respond when the ground beneath your feet begins to shift? When life takes a drastic turn, when events come into your life that you never saw coming and you could not have foreseen. How can you be immovable in your faith in the midst of an upheaval in life? That's the question that we're going to answer in a mini-series called Immovable. How do you become immovable in your faith and your confidence of God? Let me take you all the way back even 38 years ago. My father was a carpenter. He owned a construction company. His specialty was building churches all over the state of New York. And on summer breaks, I was conscripted to work. If you know the word conscripted, you know I really didn't enjoy it. And I would work with him, and I remember working on this one church. Ironically, the church that I grew up in, my dad built. And it had 30-foot high vaulted arching ceilings to it. And I'm up on top of a 30-foot scaffolding with boards spanning the scaffolding over my head, working on wood-paneled ceiling. And my, one of my older brothers, John, who ha brothers, uh, whose name is John, happens to be the one that was most cruel to me. He climbs down the scaffolding to get a tool, and when he gets to the bottom, here's what brothers do, he grabs the base of the scaffolding and he begins to shake it with all of his might. I don't like heights. You know what happened to me? I dropped to my knees on that plank to lower my center of gravity as low as I could go. That was an instinct. And if you could take that picture, right? Did you just get that in your mind? Can you take that moving motion picture and apply it to your own soul when a life upheaval comes, when, they, when a storm in life comes, the Bible calls them trials, when they hit your life and you did not see it coming, does your soul instinctively drop in prayer. You see, if you want to become immovable in your confidence in God, then let's develop hearts that pray. So here we go. Psalm 67, that was the introduction. Let me tell you 
that even though life trials are difficult, they have a sweetness to them, and we will unfold that as we go through this psalm. Psalm 67, I'm going to share with you over these next several weeks what I personally have been learning, even through a storm in my own life. How can you be immovable in your faith when the world shakes? Number one, I've got three points for you. The first one's going to be the longest, and the second two will go quicker. Number one, pray with confidence in times of upheaval. Pray with confidence in times of upheaval. Now, we've only got seven verses to cover in this psalm. Man, are they powerful. Verse number one, you ready? Let's all look at it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Now, I'm about to tell you something. It's the first most important thing I'm going to tell you. I think there's going to be a few of them that I consider most important. Here's the first one. I want you to try to see if you could get this down into your heart where you really think through it. God's heart, Christian, is filled with a longing to bless you. Now, let me say it again. Christian, believer, God's heart, his heart is filled with a longing to bless you. Now, do you believe that? Do you really, truly believe that? Now, most of you know that my background is really academically counseling. And I get the privilege so often of working with people to try to get truth from here to here. It's got to get from the mind to the heart or transformation is not possible. But what most people don't know, how do you get God's truth from your mind down to your heart? And there's only one way that it moves down to the heart. And here it is. Faith. That's the only way. If you want God's truth to come down into your heart where you can be transformed, you must believe. You must have faith. And when your world begins to shake and your soul drops to the ground in prayer, your knees follow it, it is knowing that God looks on you with favor that will settle your heart in peace, even in the midst of the ground shaking. Now, I'm going to show you something so amazing. Look at verse 1. The psalmist is praying, and he's leading Israel to pray. These are songs for Israel, and they're singing a prayer. May God be gracious. He's asking for God to be gracious to Israel. But look at the end of the psalm, starting at verse 6. He has a certainty now. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And look, he divinely echoes it. God shall bless us, verse 7. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So in the beginning of the psalm, he's asking for God to bless them. But by the end of the song, he has, psalm, he has faith that God will bless them. That's the movement of truth from the mind to the heart. And when it gets to the heart, you will become immovable in your confidence in God. So Christian, I'm going to ask you again. I need you to deeply, deeply reflect. Do you truly know that God has a heart 
that longs to bless you. I got to take you more deeply. That's part of the fun of preaching. It's actually part of the joy of listening to gospel sermons. You go deep into the heart. And to be able to help you do this, can I give you something to think on? Something to imagine. You know, we went on vacation in August. We went up to a home in uh, Lake Wallapawpack. Generous people let us go there for a week. Our family. And my daughter, I only have one daughter, so I just told you who it was. My daughter says to the family, let's play hide and seek. I'm 54 years old. I haven't played hide and seek for decades, I don't think, since I was a youth pastor. So we played hide and seek in this home, and it ended up being the most fun that we had on the entire vacation. So I want you to picture playing hide and seek, but I want you to picture you're playing it at night, and you're playing it outside of the home, and you're hiding, and there's woods that are on the fringes of the property, and the person who is seeking has a flashlight, and you're hiding behind a tree, and that person, the seeker, is, is waving that flashlight back and forth, and all of a sudden, right where you are hiding behind that tree, the light begins to approach you and it sweeps past the tree of which you were hiding behind and you think I'm safe I'm undiscovered and then the light snaps back to your tree and you realize that you've been found can you even feel that can you imagine that I want you to take that now into this psalm and look at verse 1 God makes his face to what to shine upon us, Selah. He turns his face to shine upon each one of his children. Listen, what's he doing? He's discovering them. He's finding them. He is revealing that he sees them. And the look on his face, listen, it is not angry. It is not scowling. Do you know what look is on God's face, Christian, for you? It's a look of friendship. It's a look of warmth. It's a look of favor. And favor is the greatest blessing that you will ever receive. And listen, you've got to hear this. God's favor is the root of every blessing that you will ever receive. In fact, Charles Spurgeon once said this of every Christian. Why should the Christian fret? Why should the Christian worry? Why should the Christian be angry when God smiles? A look of approval from God creates a deep, delightful calm within the soul. Okay, now I'm about to tell you the best part of the sermon. By far. Do you know how a person finds the favor of God we're coming to the gospel. You ready? Do you know how a person experiences the favor from God? Let's at least flatten it because we're all in this situation. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody, just through your moral efforts, can be 
gaining the favor of God. God doesn't look and finally see a person that says, you know, they've really been trying hard to be a good person. I'm going to put my favor on them. No, that's not possible. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not through moral effort. It's not through natural beauty of your character that God's favor comes upon you. Listen, the truth is way better. It's more glorious. This is the gospel. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you, now listen, you've got to let that down into your soul. Christian, you were still a sinner in act of rebellion and defiance to God when God's favor came upon you. Non-believer, if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me tell you, you're right in the place that you need to be to be surprised by God's grace. Because it comes on you when you are a sinner. But how? See, the Son of God had to earn the favor that we enjoy with God. He did what we could not do. Jesus lived a morally perfect life. He perfectly upheld the law of God, every single bit of it. And he was a spotless lamb, undefiled by sin. It could never be true of Jesus. He was not a sinner. He had not fallen short of the glory of God. And he was sacrificed on that cross. He willingly died. He died for the joy set before him because that's the only way that our sins could be paid for and taken away. And the very moment that a sinner declares faith in that truth, God removes their sin. You know what it means to have faith? It means to entrust. The moment that you entrust your soul, your life, your hopes to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that very moment, the Father applies the payment that Christ made through his blood on that cross to you, and his resurrection cashes the check. It's in his resurrection that you are given life by faith in Christ. He died for your sins on the cross. He was raised for your life because there's a problem there just is God who is perfectly holy infinitely better than us infinitely outside of us infinitely spotless God who is perfectly holy cannot look with favor on a sinner until that sin is removed, and it is only removed through the redemption that Jesus Christ gave. Christian, Jesus paid for every one of your sins. Now, let's get this from the mind to the heart, and you do it by faith. The way that God looks at you, believer, is with warmth, friendship, favor, and a smile. And you might argue in your mind, well, I didn't have a very good week. I wasn't very faithful. That never changes the look on God's face for you. And even his discipline for me, even his discipline for you, for our sins, is made out of the warmest heart that you will ever know, the heart of God who loves you.
Winds of change are going to blow in your life, friends. How many of you, let's just be really honest. Let's get some honesty here. How many of you know what I'm talking about, that upheavals in life are hard? Raise your hand. And if your hand didn't go up, then maybe you've not yet experienced one, but I will guarantee you that in this world, you are going to be shaken. What's going to be your anchor? It's going to be living consciously, knowing the favor of God for you. And the one who prays in the confidence of this truth will find an ever-present refuge in the storm. Point number two, and they're going to go quicker. Point number two is this. Pray that God will be given glory from your life in times of upheaval. Now, here's what we're doing. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. We're looking at how we can become immovable in life and our faith. And we're going to discover this through four different psalms. And this first psalm is by showing us you want to be immovable in your faith, you learn to drop your soul to its knees in confidence in God, knowing that your life will give glory to God in that storm. Because here's the fact, God's blessings were never meant to end with us. You realize that, right? Listen, God's blessing you, Christian, but those blessings go through you, beyond you, to other people. Look at verse 2. That your, he shines his face on us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In other words, do you know why God blesses us? So that his glory could be known and people be saved. See, his love is so expansive that he desires to save people from every nation, every group of people on earth. And how we live, how the Christian lives, how the church lives will have an impact on how the people around us view God. In fact, look at verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Do you hear what he's saying? This is not just let the church praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Now let me just tell you what that word Selah means. And here's my very quick answer. Nobody actually knows. We just don't. We've lost this knowledge. But almost everybody believes it means one of two things. It's either a musical interlude because these are songs for Israel to sing. And when our worship teams have a musical interlude, it's not to show off their talents, even though they're incredibly talented. It's an opportunity for us to then begin to reflect more deeply what we've been singing. So Selah is either a musical interlude or it just literally simply means to pause. And let the truth sink in. Every once in a while, I use this approach when I really want you to listen. If I know you're not listening, I'll stop talking for a few seconds. Every time I do, heads snap back up. See, that's how you get your soul to pay attention, to say a lot. And it goes on, verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see what God's doing? Do you see what the psalmist is saying? Let me put it this way. When's the last time, or let me put it even better, has anybody ever been to an art museum? Raise your hand. You're standing before a masterpiece, 
and you are talking maybe with people or you're ruminating or thinking in your mind how amazing this painting is, but it's not really going to stop with the painting. It never does. Honor always wants to go through the object to the person. That's the track and the trajectory of honor and praise. It goes through the painting to the painter, and you're amazed at the one that could have painted that. Or you go into a building that is hundreds of years old, and the architecture is so incredible and your mind goes through the architecture, through the building and begins to bring praise to the architect, praise to the builders. That's what praise does. It never ends at the object. It always proceeds to the person. And it proceeds to where we bring glory to God. Now, we've got to understand something. And I do a lot of teaching when I preach because I'm always wanting us to grab hold of the truths. Do you know what it means to glorify God? I mean, we use that phrase all the time. So let's really settle it in our hearts. I'm going to define it so crisply for you that I hope you'll never forget it. Here's what it means to bring glory to God. It means that your life, your actions... Your words, your work actually shines and reveals God's attributes and character. It never ends with you. If you want to glorify yourself, then your, your hope is that your actions will reveal your character, but that's not how you glorify God. If you want to glorify God and you want to bring glory to God, then what you do and say and think and feel bring clarity for people around you to see God's character. So here's what it means. It means to light up who God is. That's how you glorify God. It's to reveal, to show, to make clear God's attributes and character. And when a church or a group of blessed Christians or your own life make God clear so that people can see him, he's given great glory. And the unsaved all around you will not only praise him, they will be saved. So how can you be immovable in your faith? In times of upheaval, here's, here's what we've learned. Pray to your gracious God who loves to bless you and show the world his glory through your life. But there's one more. There's one more point. Pray knowing that God is sovereign over every upheaval. Now, you've got to be wondering, if you're a thinking person, you've got to be wondering, why is Tim talking about life upheavals in a psalm in which there is no trace of an upheaval happening? It just doesn't seem... Right. Has that not yet clicked for you? Psalm 67 is nothing but a wonderful psalm of praise. So why did I choose this? And the answer to that question is actually found in James chapter 1, verse 2, in the very first word of the verse. And it goes like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That word count actually, by the way, gives us the word logarithm. It means to lead your mind, to make up your mind ahead of time to face trials with joy. Why verse 3 of James 1? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, James is saying this. If you want to learn how to endure the upheavals in your life, everybody listen. This is the third most important thing I'm telling you. 
The time to drive the truths into your soul are before the trial hits. Not in the midst of it. That's why I chose Psalm 67. There is no trial. There is no upheaval. But it's driving down into our soul the most amazing truth about God. So back to Psalm 67. I want everybody to look for a moment. There's one word that is repeated six times. Do you spot it? It's going to be unspectacular because we only see it in the English form. I'll explain the Hebrew form. Okay, is that actually in there six times? Because that's not the word I'm thinking. The word God. Now, I told you that's unspectacular, but let me explain it. Do you know what God is in English, but you know what it is in Hebrew here? It's the name Elohim. And Elohim is a name for God, and he gives us a lot of his names. And every one of his names, each of his names, reveals his character and his, quali- his attributes in a little bit different form than any other name. Elohim, over 2,600 times in the Old Testament, is a name for God that captures his might and his right to rule his sovereignty. He is the creator. And because he is the creator of all things, he has the right to rule over everything. This is the God who has the might and the right to rule. But it's even better. You look at me, and my name is Tim, unless I'm with my mom still, who's 89 years old, and I'm in trouble with her. It's Timothy, but my name is Tim, and that's singular. You don't refer to me as plural, but this word is plural. Because Elohim is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's not just singular, it's the plural. In other words, Christian, in this psalm, all about God's blessing, all about God's favor for his people, all about God's smile on his people, and his ability to work through his people to bring glory to himself, is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working together to bring out your blessing and to further his own glory. You see, in times of upheaval, you pray to God, you pray to Elohim, you're praying to the Father, Son, and Spirit to tend to you. And you as well as I, we gather that knowledge now. Now listen, we gather it now before the upheaval hits because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And this is as true in my life as it is yours. Our hearts, our hearts are the storehouses of everything. Jesus said it's out of the overflow of your heart that the mouth speaks. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Everything is about the condition of our hearts. And our hearts are like a tube of toothpaste which you've spun the cap off. And here comes a trial. Here comes an upheaval. And that pressure begins to squeeze that tube. And what's in that tube comes out. What's in your heart comes out. It will come out through your mouth. It will come out in your actions. It will come out in your emotions. It will come out in your actions. And when it comes out, now you can see what you could not see before because the heart is deceptive and 
wicked who can understand it, Jeremiah 17, 9. Do you see where the gospel's going? Do you see where this psalm is going? The psalm is going, go down into the storehouse of your heart now. Elohim blesses you. Elohim is gracious to you. Elohim smiles his favor upon you. Elohim is working through you to save people all over the world. He's bringing glory to himself through you. And what does that result in when the people of God know their God and their hearts are squeezed? I'm going to tell you what an upheaval does to a faithful child of God. Look at the word. They praise. Look at your psalm. They praise God. Look at the last two words of the psalm. His people fear him. That word, those two words mean worship. Now I'm about to close But let me tell you as I close what I've really been learning. Actually, these four sermons are autobiographical sermons. Really, I'm disgorging my own walk to you. What I'm learning myself, I'm sharing with you. And what I'm learning is this. It is in suffering, it is in upheavals in life, it is in the sharpest of trials that we will experience the most intimate times with God. Did you hear that? Listen, it's not in times of ease that you will experience the intimacy of God. It is when your ground beneath your feet quakes. And in these past few months, what God has been developing, been developing in me is the most treasured part of my day. It was not like this before these upheavals, and it's been beautiful. The most treasured part of my day is when I turn off the light on my headboard and I begin to just pray and I literally drift into sleep in prayer. It's been the best part of my day. It's every single night. You know, I remember as a little boy, when I would have a nightmare, if my dad came in, he would just say, Tim, Tim, wake up. Go back to sleep. You're having a nightmare. But if my mom came in, She'd sit on the edge of the bed and she'd rub my arm until I literally went back to sleep. That's what it's become for me. I am reminded nightly throughout the day, God is sovereign. God is gracious. God's smile is upon me, not because of Tim Ackley, but because of the sacrifice of his son. And I am immovable in my faith even when my world shakes. Now, Christian brother and sister, When your world begins to shake, drop to your knees. Pray to the sovereign God who blesses you through Christ so that your world may see the glory of God and you can bring him praise and worship him forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. As we're about to move into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, Lord, this speaks so clearly to that ordinance, Father, that we can celebrate. We can celebrate because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in the cross and the empty tomb. So, Father, I pray that as we take these elements, Lord, we would worship. Lord, that we would proclaim your death, 
Maranatha, until you come again. But Lord, that we would drive into our souls, not just our mind, but into our hearts, the truth by faith. We believe you love your people. You bless us. Your favor is upon us. You shine your smile upon us. And even in the midst of an upheaval, we can bring glory to you that the world may see and people be saved. Let us praise you. Let our hearts be squeezed and come out of it with praise and worship. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your incredibly precious name we pray. Amen.